So Freaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this rip of TFTC. I think you guys are going to like it. It was brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Man, is Unchained Capital looking good this week? <laughs> not your keys, not your coins. Unchained has built their business around the core tenant of allowing their users to hold their own keys and interact with their platform. Their value prop is being acutely highlighted right now as we have centralized exchanges going down. Obviously, FTX went under. If you're not paying attention, rumors of others that may be in trouble may only be rumors, but the point stands. If you're holding your Bitcoin on an exchange, it is a single point of failure. A lot of FTX users found that out this week. Billions of dollars evaporated overnight. People not able to access their Bitcoin or their shitcoins and have simply woken up and they don't, that money's poof, gone. That's why Unchained Capital exists. Again, they build all their products off the basis of multi-sig custody that gives their users control of their Bitcoin, but also enables them to collaborate with Unchained um, to to do cool things with their Bitcoin, mainly uh, hold their Bitcoin. uh, That's their vault product, which is two or three multi-sig escrow, or not an escrow account, two or three multi-sig uh, cold storage wallet where the user holds two keys, Unchained holds one. Since you hold two in the two or three multi-sig quorum, you can always move your Bitcoin out. But if you're ever in a pinch, you only have one key, Unchained is there to be the second in the two or three multi-sig signature, multi-sig uh, quorum, excuse me. Uh, beyond that, they have their lending desk, which allows you to put your Bitcoin up as collateral to get cash, spend as you see fit. In that model as well, you hold one key. Uh, you put your Bitcoin in the escrow account. You hold one key. Unchain holds one key. And another third party holds a third key. Yes, you can't move your Bitcoin out of this, but you have visibility. You know that Unchain isn't rehypothecating your Bitcoin because you have that key. You can see into the wallet. You know it doesn't move. It's not like FTX where you put your money in and then they go uh, lever it up and, and give it to their trading desk to go to go set on fire. Not possible in this setup. Eliminate single points of failure in your custody model in your lending products if you're going out there and using Bitcoin as collateral. This is the best way to do it. People have not figured it out. Unchained has figured it out. They also have a trading desk where you buy Bitcoin, go straight to your multi-sig cold storage. Most secure way to buy Bitcoin. It doesn't stay on the exchange so that they can then Go speculate with it. Then you wake up one day, it's not there. Can't happen with Unchained. Go to unchained.com, check out all these products. Really highlighting the value prop this week, FTX. Thank you. From the Unchained team. This rip is also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains, 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 brains. This is the Bitcoin mining handbook. Explore the fundamentals of Bitcoin mining. Uh, author, Daniel Frumpkin, forward, Marty Ben, that's me. Wrote the foreword to this book by Brains because I feel very passionate about this company. I've been you know, the company behind Brains Pool, formerly Slush Pool, which is the oldest mining pool in Bitcoin's existence. They have Brains OS Plus firmware, which allows miners to stack more sats with their hash. If they have compatible ASICs, they have Brains Insights. They are the creme de la creme in the Bitcoin mining world in terms of providing miners with the tool that make them smarter, 
more profitable and more aware of what's going on in the market. Go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Check it all out. If you have an ASIC that's compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware and you're not using it, you're an idiot, go download it. You're going to be more profitable. It's very <laughs> important as Bitcoin's trading at $17,200 around there and hash prices dumping down below $0.06. Cents. You'll be able to see that at Brains Insights at insights.brains.com. Check it all out. If you have Brains OS Plus firmware, download it on your ASIC and you point your hash rate at Brains Pool, you're going to get 0% pool fees. Go to Brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. Check all this out. Big updates this week. I mean, this is another company that's really uh, being highlighted as uh, approaching Bitcoin custody and uh, financial products around Bitcoin the right way. Hoddle, hoddle. They have their lending product, lend.hoddlehoddle.com, which allows you to get out stablecoin loans with no KYC, no AML, uh, in a peer-to-peer fashion, lower rates, put your Bitcoin up as collateral in a two or three multi-sig escrow. Again, you hold one key, so you have visibility into that escrow account, so you know that's not being rehypothecated. And then you get stablecoins, you pay them back, plus interest, you get your Bitcoin back at the end of the loan. If you have stablecoins, you put it up on the other side, lend it out to Bitcoiners, you have a key in that two or three multi-sig quorum, so you can see that there's Bitcoin in the collateral account, and if your counterparty doesn't pay you back, you get some of that Bitcoin, whatever you lent out, plus the interest they owe you. Lend.hodlhodl.com is that product. No KYC, no AML, peer-to-peer, lower rates. Also, on the exchange side, hodlhodl.com, the original product, just got implemented into Trezor. So you can now buy directly via the Trezor suite, via hodlhodl, into addresses that you control. Great integration. So go to lend.hodlhodl.com. Check out the lending product. Go to hodlhodl.com. Check out the peer-to-peer exchange. Again, no KYC, no AML. Direct to Trezor. That's a pretty cool implementation. Integration. God. Whew. Last but not least, we have upstream data. They're here building the infrastructure necessary to mine. Not only mine. They build oil field service technology too. If you need generators, data centers, upstream data is here. Go to upstreamdata.ca to check out their hash huts. I am a very happy owner of many hash huts now at this point. I like the 50 kilowatt version. Uh, the generators that upstream data builds are purpose built for mining. Um, the hash hut I've been having running for uh, almost over a year now has been running flawlessly. We only have downtime when we need to change the oil in the generator and that usually takes 45 minutes. I don't think we've missed a block since we've had to change oil. Uh, we have 50 kilowatt hash shuts. They have 180 kilowatt, 900 kilowatt, and they're working on other sizes as well. If you're in the oil and gas industry or if you're a utility company with excess, excess electricity and you're looking to diversify, you greedy profiteers, you're like that, that oil profits, you want to diversify into Bitcoin mining. Well, ASICs are relatively cheap. Upstream data is the company for you. They can provide you with the generators, the data centers, the hash huts, and the ASICs all in one, purpose-built, so that you can use, if you're an oil and gas company, your excess natural gas to mine Bitcoin. Go to upstreamdata.ca, tell them the TFTC sent you, and enjoy this rip.
You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. I'm fucking tired. Hell of a week. Hell of a week. Hell of the last two weeks. That's true. Two weeks. Contagion and Bitcoin, uh, the Pacific Bitcoin Conference. I heard that was really good. I'm pretty bummed I missed it. Yeah, it really was. Uh, the, the guys at Swan did a great job. Good vibes. Heart of Bitcoin crashing, and you wouldn't know it if you were at a Bitcoin conference. Yeah, what was it like being there while the FTX news was breaking and they were going insolvent right in front of everybody's eyes? I mean, based on the vibes, you wouldn't know anything was happening. Um, there were some people who brought it up on stage in terms of discussing it, but... Um, it really was a Bitcoin conference. And I think that one of the best things about Bitcoin is that, um, you know, I think one of the things that Saylor talked about when he was there is the need to increasingly differentiate. And I think that um, uh, that's probably one of the hardest things for people on the outside looking in to understand is like, what is different about Bitcoin? Why can't Bitcoin be copied? Why, if you could make a copy of a Bitcoin, it's not inflationary. Um, but, but that, increasingly that discussion of why is Bitcoin different will come to the forefront. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when I think about the differentiating thing about Bitcoin is when you're around a bunch of Bitcoiners, whether there's people building in the community or just people that actually see Bitcoin for what it is, that um, what is different about it is that when the market's collapsing, but Bitcoiners are born of the volatility. They're they're used to it. And, and that was the vibe at the conference. It was focused on what matters um, and what matters is infrastructure, education, content, uh, distribution of ideas. And, and that's what a lot of what last week was about. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that's what my focus this week has been. Getting invited on other shows to talk about FTX is to try to draw, draw that clear distinction. We've got Bitcoin and then everything else is noise. Yeah, one of my biggest... Um, one of the things I hate to see is when people say 99% of everything else, you know, it used to be 95%. Yeah. And now it's 99%. It's like, uh, you know, it's Bitcoin and 99% of everything else is going to fail, but that 1%, and that's the kind of mantra of Silicon Valley, old school, old world, fiat money thinking. Um, and in the reality, it is 100% of everything else. Not 99, not 99.1, 100% of everything else. You're just a toxic maxi pad. Um, no toxic. I hate the term maxi, by the way, but I'll use it. I do as well. I mean, I was. Yeah. Don't project. I, I, was, <laughs> I was mocking these people. Um, but, but yeah, I think that the, the, the reality is that no Bitcoiner was telling people to put their money on FTX. Not only just not to gamble it, but for the risk of um, having firms like that taking leverage and, and realistically creating casinos with unregistered securities, um, no Bitcoiner was, was doing that. So somebody was, and they weren't Bitcoiners. No, and they obviously didn't listen to our last episode. 
which we recorded right after Celsius. Or, or any episode. <laughs> yes. It's, or if they did listen to it, um, maybe the benefit is that they have to touch the hot stove to learn that um, I wasn't around Bitcoin when Mt. Gox happened. But, you know, when I, I think that knowledge distribution is the most important thing for Bitcoin adoption. Um, some of that is writing books and essays. Um, some of the knowledge distribution is time in the market and experiencing pain. Yes. Um, and that while we would hope to be able to eliminate some people's pain that they have to feel that have fewer people touch the hot stove um, by communicating ideas, understanding why Bitcoin is different from a fundamental perspective. But uh, if you lose 150,000 Bitcoin at Celsius or however much was deposited in FTX or um, BlockFi, and not say that everything's 100% lost, but right now people can't get their funds. And um, I mean, with FTX, it's 100% lost. They have zero Bitcoin. Oh, okay. Um, Literally zero. How much was deposited? I mean, they, they, there were claims of over 70,000 Bitcoin. That's unbelievable. Isn't it? That's the thing about both Three Arrows and FTX, which doesn't add up, which is like, how did they lose all the money? You know, like go I, w- I want to know, Parker. Where did all that money go? Where to go? How'd you? How are you that bad at trading? <laughs> you know. Well, this is something because like they try to claim leverage, but it's like show us the trades. You know, and that's what the restructuring attorneys that get in there um, are going to have to do. Well, that's why I want to bring this up with you particularly because your history of your career, like at Heyman specifically, like part of your strategy at Heyman was trying to identify fraudulent businesses and shorting their stock and making the market aware of the fraud. Like how does a fraud of this magnitude happen? Realistically, a fraud of this magnitude, and I guess it's not say only, um, but it was certainly aided by the fact that there was free money slushing around and that, you know, kind of like on this one, it kind of feels like the, um, what was the woman's name? Uh, Holmes. Elizabeth. Elizabeth Holmes, where, um, yeah, there's ranges of conspiracy theories, but I would just say that people had FOMO. There was free money and FOMO and that Silicon Valley wanted to get rich and that that allowed for, in the context of a private company with very little oversight, and I mean, the crazy thing about FTX is like, again, everyone go independently verify, but, but the fact that they reportedly did not have a board and the likes of Tiger Global, I believe, and Sequoia, Tomo Bravo, Paul Tudor Jones, that they were just throwing money, like um, that, that was either FOMO or, uh, and I, I would believe it probably was that they thought that it was going to be a 10X or a 100X or this boy genius, but um they failed to use common sense. Yeah. I mean. But where's the money still? Where's like, the money? Marty Jones is going like, crazy inside right now. Like, where the fuck is the money? Same with Three Arrows Capital. Like, These people didn't even have a bank account until earlier this like, show year. Show me the trade statements of them losing all the money. They didn't even have a bank account until earlier this year. Like, how do you invest hundreds of millions of dollars and not, like, diligence? Like, hey, show me your bank record. In an offshore exchange. You know, like. Um, how were they able to buy Ledger X? Like that's a smoking gun to me too. Ledger X is CFTC regulated clearing. The only one, right? Yes. I think it's a DCM. It's either DCO or DCM. DCMG. Like, 
No, no, in terms of the regulatory licensing. I'm not um, sure. And, but I, I believe it is the only one. So yeah, it's like how how were they approved as a as a purchaser? As an acquirer of that CFTC yeah. regulator. So much for regulators. You know, like, and they will use this to clamp down a regulation, but... Um, yeah, and, this and you, proves that the regulators... I mean, you, you brought up kind of the, the work that I used to do. Um, and, you know, in this case, and, and I think there's just like, so it's like, in one case, there's an obvious fraud or what appears to be a fraud, right? Like, where'd the money go? Like, how did so many people miss this? I mean, I mean, I think most realistically, some people really missed it and they had FOMO and they were throwing hundreds of millions of dollars thinking that there was going to be a company worth a hundred billion dollars. Um, as ridiculous as it sounds and as um, reckless and based on the reputation of the people that threw that money, um, it defies belief in many ways. But, but then you have, you have that happening. You have these, you know, grifter short sellers talking about Silvergate. Um, you know, what, what, what I did was I stumbled upon an actual fraud, um, spent two years working on it, combing over, um, thousands of pages, hundreds of financial statements, and figuring out that a public company was saying things inconsistent with what was actually happening. And in that case, and again, it's, it's also to make an, uh, an example, in that case, that went on for seven years. And then eventually the executives were charged by the DOJ and convicted. Um, that took seven years. And so like when people are talking about regulation, this regulation, that it's like, ultimately they come and clean up messes. Um, and they, they, they really aren't there to prevent or, uh, if they are too often things go, go wrong. And so when I think about, um, what might come down, um, from this, it's just an excuse. And like, to your point, the purchase of Ledger X, a regulated um, clearinghouse, clearinghouse, that like there was a regulator that approved that purchase, right? And if all of these things were going on in the last twelve months, like how they didn't even have a bank account when they made this purchase. Yeah, like so the regulators are going to save what you know, and and that's ultimately why Bitcoin being permissionless, censorship resistant, permissionless innovation. And um, that, that, that will ultimately be what wins, um, regardless of however or whatever happens from a regulatory perspective. Yes. Are there any silver, silver linings from all this? I think that the silver lining is that when people go out and educate about Bitcoin and the fundamentals, that is very important work. Um, I've personally found like my own writing to be um, valuable to myself and distilling my own thoughts, but have met a lot of people who've benefited from that. The silver lining in this is that more people will understand Bitcoin because of some real world experience rather than some deep fundamental thought. Um, and both are valuable, but so people losing billions of dollars worth of Bitcoin will tell them, I need to do something different next time. I need to... Um, combination of ensure that the people that I'm trusting are trustworthy. What are the signals if they're not, or how do I eliminate trust? Um, because you can do that in Bitcoin. Um, and it will also 
help expose to the world that there is something different about Bitcoin. Um, and so those are two different silver linings. Um, the people that were in the market that got burned, um, it's not to say certain of them won't make the same mistake again. Like there are gamblers in the world and there are people who make mistake after mistake. But a lot of people um, woke up because they, they got burned. Um, and others who are observing it from the outside, it's becoming harder and harder to come away with a conclusion that there isn't something different about Bitcoin. So that is a market signal in itself. Yeah. But there's one thing you said there, a bunch of people lost their Bitcoin. They never had it in the first place. Well, what I, what I, well, for the people who bought it on the exchange, they never had it. Yes. But the people who deposited Bitcoin, yes, they had Bitcoin at some point in time and they deposited in that exchange. And now the reality is somebody else has that Bitcoin, you know, and it's either still the people at Alameda uh, or they sold it and the market absorbed it. And an important part of this is the thing that makes Bitcoin work. There's a lot of things that obviously make Bitcoin work, but um, one of the fundamentals is that it eliminates moral hazard. It is the freest of markets. There is trial and error. You do stupid things, you win stupid prizes, but the people that bear the brunt of that are the people who take misguided risk. Yes. And individually, these people are learning lessons, not your keys, not your coins. Don't gamble with your Bitcoin, but collectively as a market, the market's learning a lesson. Like this is what a system with no lender of last resort looks like. Yeah. Like yeah. You- it's, it's, uh, you know, one of the jokes about the federal reserve system is the price stability mandate. And, um, the, saying in Bitcoin of one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. It's like, if you figured that one out, you figured something out about Bitcoin that uh, Bitcoin, because you cannot manipulate the supply of Bitcoin, you cannot manipulate its price. And what that results in is short-term volatility in the interest of long-term stability. Um, the, the imbalances immediately being eliminated and we move forward, the, the herd gets cold, the, the trial and errors get resolved and the market finds an equilibrium. In the Fed system and the dollar system, price stability, it basically rejects short, short-term volatility, short-term price discovery at the risk of long-term volatility. And so in this world, anyone who's adopting Bitcoin at this stage, which remains very early, has to tolerate all the noise and all of the volatility, but that is the market working. That is the market eliminating moral hazard. Everyone is responsible for themselves. And when you have a market like that, you have a market that has to learn. Otherwise the consequences are devastating. Yes. That's one thing I worry going back to like the lesson that this is what a system with no lender of last resort looks like. Are people going to point at that and be like, this is why we need the Fed. Like how do we, get out front and say like, no, I mean, these are hard lessons that need to be learned. This is not why we need the Fed. This is why we need to construct these financial products and services in a way that ensures that you know that Bitcoin is not being lent out X amount of times behind your back. Well, what I would say is on one one account, first, the dollar is wrecking more people and its volatility is wrecking more people. Globally. Globally than... uh, 
Bitcoin could in its totality today or that FTX ever could because FTX is in the grand scheme a, a small blip in Bitcoin's um, history. And that, you know, on a $25 trillion economy, 10% inflation, because that is the volatility, um, equates to 2.5 trillion. Bitcoin today, roughly 300 billion. Um, it's a nascent store of value. It's both material, but um, at the same time, still small in the grand scheme of things. But if you think about what 10% inflation means on a $25 trillion system, that is wreaking havoc. It's destroying people. Um, it's destroying people from an economic calculation perspective. It's literally bleeding a large share of the population out, like suffocating them. So when people talk about Bitcoin's volatility, I point back to the dollar's volatility. Um, the dollar's volatility is for financial markets crashing, um, the credit markets collapsing, um, the printing of money, the 10% the, um, inflation. But then your question about the lender of last resort, the, the biggest joke about that is there's nothing about Bitcoin that prevents a lender of last resort. Because if you want a lender of last resort, you will just have to capitalize it. And if you want a lender of last resort and you need to capitalize it with Bitcoin, with a fixed supply, um, and you're a system of government, then that requires you to tax people. So there's nothing wrong with, quote, rainy day funds. Now, there's probably a reality that the further that you get away from the, the people living in an economy, like a town to a state to a, a nation, that if you're shipping your money off to a lender of last resort in a far off land, that they're not going to be using that money in a way that directly impacts your life. But that's what, what a lender of last resort functionally is a rainy day fund. Now that just, you know, an individual has a rainy day fund, a family does, a local community does, township, city, et cetera. Um, and, but more to the point, if we, if we think about the fundamental, if you want a central bank that is a lender of last resort, fund it with Bitcoin. It's just that you won't be able to get free capital anymore. So that idea, like what would we do without the Fed? It's a, it's a misnomer, which is we would just live in a world where you can't print money. Where does the money come from? You know? Um, so I think when you, when you get beneath the surface of that question of like, what if there isn't a lender of last resort? It's just a matter of, are you actually going to fund that lender mm -hmm. of last resort? Or are you going to give it the superpower to print money and live in a world where while we all grew up knowing that money doesn't grow on trees at a system level saying, oh, maybe that actually um, can happen and that it's just reserved to 12 people that sit around a table and then get to allocate it how they want. Um, so I think that at the end of the day, central banks will be rejected because people do not like taxes and that when we're on a Bitcoin standard, uh, there will be rainy day funds, but they will be tied to local communities, insurance, things like that. Bitcoin mining permanent funds. Yeah. I don't know if that is a yeah, rainy rolled, day fund, but yeah, you rolled up into a permanent fund. You use the permanent fund as a yeah as a rainy day fund. Yeah, as well as other other activities you may need. Do you think this is an inflection point in the way that people interact with Bitcoin when they're interacting with a counterparty, a trusted third party? Is this I think, proving I think unchained that we, model? I think that we generally over-index to the here and now. Um, it is possible, but um, 
I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim victory just you think, yet. You think the next step is like, oh, we're going to do proof of reserves. Um, I don't, I, I, I honestly believe proof of reserves is, it's not to say it's nonsensical, um, like a fully reserved bank. And if you could prove it, but you're still, you know, one year depending on trust. And one of the points that Pierre's brought up over the course of last week is you can't prove that you don't have liabilities. And that is what has caused uh, the greatest consequence of everything that we've seen here. So if you have 10 billion of assets, but you have 20 billion of liabilities, you might be able to pr prove that you have 10 billion of assets. You can't prove that you don't have a liability and that's all dependent on trust. Um, and so I do think, I mean, like I always just think directionally. It's like, I don't know if it's a critical tipping point, but there are a shit ton of people that learned a very hard lesson. Um, but I think that if you went back to Mount Gox, again, I was not there, but, I was there. but if you were there, you'd be like, people won't do this shit again. Yeah. You know, people, people will learn. Uh, and then, and it's remarkable how many scams these people can come up with in narratives that then you're like, holy shit, we, like, we forgot about Celsius, you know, like that was five months ago. Um, not say we forgot about it, but like it feels so far in the past and that when that happened, there were a lot of people that saw that and left their money on BlockFi, you know? And so, um, what the people that were there will learn and then there will be another cohort and, and hopefully fewer of them will make the same mistakes as more and more people build up a critical mass of figuring out this constant struggle between trusting a custodian, holding, <coughs> holding their own keys, where the more people have been uh, in the market, the more they realize that that is the only way to create certainty. Yeah. Yeah, people forgot five months ago. Yeah. Like three arrows is probably dancing somewhere like, you know, about FTX. Oh, Kyle Davies was on CNBC yesterday. Like, how do you bring that guy on CNBC? That's a joke. I mean, they're trying to run with the narrative that Alameda used their visibility into FTX's trading book to target them and their positions. That's what they're, and that's why they blew up. But it's become very obvious that they were taking out unsecuritized loans and well, but it's like, it's also like, well, where were three air, where did three arrows capital money go? I'd be like, show me the trades, show me where you lost money. And that's what a, that's what a restructuring attorney is going to have to do. Yeah. Because they could have claimed that they lost money and just sent Bitcoin to the Bitcoin version of the Cayman Islands. Right. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he, that guy is on CNBC talking, it's like, that's like, uh, what's the guy from Wolf of Wall Street? Jordan Belfort. It's like Jordan Belfort, like being an authority on anything. Well, apparently he's a crypto authority now. Yeah. Right. I know. Like that's the thing. Um, and that's also just an aside when you cut cable and then you go back and watch, like when I go to a hotel, like last week when I was at the Bitcoin conference, um, or Pacific Bitcoin. I, I, when I'm in the hotel, I turn on CNBC in the morning. Uh, and it's like, you can clearly see these are just actors. Oh yeah. You know, I've been tuning in all week. Like I'm it's a, like when you remove yourself from the financial news and then come back a while later, you're like, Oh, these are like two bit actors talking about, you know, just a different subject line. And the fact that, um, the guy from three Rose capital who lost 
tens of billions of dollars, five billion, whatever it was, gets put on a soapbox. Like that's fucking crazy. Yeah. And ch drunk Jim Cramer just screaming about random stuff, and that's the other thing. They were all pumping FTX. Yeah, he's definitely an actor. Them. Like, like just an actor. Yeah, that guy. So Jim Cramer. Are we being vindicated right now? Should I believe we, so. Should we be dancing on graves? We should be. I mean, I think that we should use the opportunities to educate about helping people not make the mistakes. And I particularly feel, I'm mean, not particularly, I think it's always important to not dance on the people's graves who lost their money. You know, like they made a mistake and there's a lot of noise out there and there's a lot of culpability in terms of creating that noise, combination of selling false promises, Mark, you know, um, the whole Solana bullshit. Um, I fucking even hate saying any cryptocurrency word, but like there's a lot of people rolling around in really expensive cars, living in multi-million dollar lake houses. Right uh, here in the yeah, city. That, um, that have dumped just absolute, not just garbage, but like scams on uh, like telling a story, having a program around telling a story. And, and so I think it's important to recognize that the people who lost money, like it's very easy, like it's very difficult to under, to understand, or very easy to understand why people get caught up in it. And it's also very difficult to understand why, why Bitcoin is different. Yeah. You know, um, and given the state of where many people are with their finances, the promise of potentially being able to put money in a casino slot and get a return um, is often too great to want to know why you're destined for misery. Um, and so I, I do think we should be dancing on the graves. We should be dancing on the graves of the FTXs of the world, uh, the Alamedas of the world, the um, the people who run altcoin scams. Um, there was the thread by um, Corey uh, from Swan um, who organized the conference last week, Pacific Bitcoin, but um, he was out basically saying like, I was focused on Three Arrows and then FTX and Alameda and now it's uh, A16Z. The worst of the worst. You know, and, and that, th that those are the, the people who's graves we should be dancing on um but the shapeshifters and they'll find a new way to sell a narrative to a pension fund and extract fees but um but also like there's a human element of it and there's a lot of people that lost money that they couldn't afford to lose and um so much of the noise that's created in the space have been been created by people who have a shit ton of money yeah um and those are those are functionally sociopaths definitely no, you're talking about like going to raise from pension funds. I just think obviously you're an advisor at 1031. From the 1031 perspective, I mean, that's what like we've been pitching. is like, hey, it's crazy that all these crypto funds have billions of dollars in the UM and there's a pittance dedicated to Bitcoin only infrastructure. Yeah, we saw how difficult it was. I mean, we, like 1031, again, the companies need to perform, but in terms of the fundraise was incredibly successful and it was like incredibly difficult that the work that um, Grant and Jonathan, you, Matt, Michael did um, 
was a huge step forward for Bitcoin. But when you see and you understand the amount of work that goes in to raising that amount of capital for 30 to 40 Bitcoin companies and what it can do. And then you see like the, I don't know what, I think I saw like Han Investments did like a $2.5 billion fund or um, A16 does something similar. It's like these people are lighting money on fire. Like Coinbase investing in NFT bullshit lit billions of dollars on fire, probably at least a billion. Um, The investments in the BlockFi, the investments into uh, FTX, that you can literally set money on fire um, if you are building in a categorically wrong plane. Um, and that if just a small amount of that capital started shifting to Bitcoin, um, that it would have a massive outsized impact and wealth creation as a function of it. Um, and hopefully more people learn about that. I mean, we were here last night in uh, the tribe event that um, you guys in the 1031, I guess I'm part of it too, but you guys have more ownership over it, that um, that event, Doldrum's Bear Market, and here in the Bitcoin Commons, a bunch of investors hearing from um, founders and members of teams that are building real valuable infrastructure, um, that and more of that, and then the bit devs that followed it, like that's what reinforces me about Bitcoin, is that the outside world is noisy, but when you actually get in, get to get into a room with, with Bitcoiners and people that are focused on building, um, it becomes very clear the signal and, and what exactly is different. Yeah. Maybe not exactly, but you, you start to see the stark contrast. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of dancing on grays, at 1031, we've been able to do a little bit of that this week because comparatively speaking, all the companies that we invested in are are doing relatively okay, or most of them are doing great. You guys have had, I mean, it's a bittersweet week for you guys, but you guys had a lot of Bitcoin come your way because people finally realize and they go, shit, I need to take control of my keys. Yeah, um, we did. It, it, like, There's no getting around though that this is an incredibly difficult market yeah. for um, like, for all, all companies in the space, including Bitcoin companies, uh, including ours. Like we, we did in the, you know, just as in the wake of Coinbase disclosing the, um, the fact that their client assets may be deemed to be unsecured liabilities and their clients might be deemed to be unsecured creditors in the event of a bankruptcy. We saw more clients than we'd ever seen come through um, after the Celsius mishap, or not mishap, but whatever happened there. Uh, the same thing was true. Uh, and then after, the, after during um, the contagion of this week, we saw the same thing as well. Um, single highest number of consultations come through in a week the number of Bitcoin coming onto the amount of Bitcoin coming into the platform. Um, that only happens because the way that we've structured our platform is to eliminate counterparty risk. Um, and we do that in multiple ways, but people would not be depositing Bitcoin into an institution if it weren't built on their own private keys. Um, and that, that despite that, like w- the way that I think about it is, Price is a function of adoption. And so we try to manage our business to control more controllables and to make our business less sensitive to price over time. Um, But if price is a function of adoption, then a declining price is 
fewer people adopting Bitcoin and there aren't nearly as many people adopting Bitcoin and catching a falling knife than when Bitcoin's going up. That people typically adopt Bitcoin for the first time in waves and when the price is moving higher because what they are functionally doing is following a signal that that people who had more information sent by accumulating in times like today. Um, and But this sustained drawdown has, has impacted our business. It's slowed growth rather than cause our business to collapse. Um, and that did result in earlier today, we announced that we were um, needing to, to um, cut some headcount uh, because I would say while we um, are less impacted by price, we did not sufficiently plan for um, the, the sustained drawdown and the, the slowing growth in, in adoption, which albeit it is temporary. And you know we really have to plan for the uncertainty to come not just in terms of price volatility, but um, when does the next adoption wave happen? Because the, that adoption wave drives clients to us. So we do see these big waves of people coming through when there are the um, the industry events that make counterparty risk uh, top of mind, but but also you know the the broader system is strained, and that's also healthy um, because it is a stressor. It does add to, to Bitcoin's anti-fragility. It does add to unchains, but but we are also impacted. Our clients' funds just are not at risk. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, let's dive into it. I mean, you're you're taking on a different role as well, correct? Yeah, um, and that that will probably come as a little bit of a surprise to people, but um, I put out a post earlier today, um, just before we started recording. I'm actually moving to the the board. Um, and that, um, that was something that, you know, kind of began as a discussion earlier in the year as to a possibility of the future, um, in, in terms of me transitioning from my day-to-day role. Um, it wasn't something that I was looking to do immediately at that time. Um, but when kind of probably late last month, early this month, when our board, um, beginning in earnest talking about the potential need to prepare for winter and to, um, to really reduce uncertainty in our business by being conservative that I, um, restarted discussions about that. It might make sense to, to make that time now. Um, but the important thing to reinforce both for our clients and, um, for our team is that my, my role is evolving, but it's putting me in a position to ultimately be able to create more value at Unchain and to be able to, continue to influence the company in the areas where I am most impactful um, from a strategy perspective, um, helping to finance the needs of the business and uh, also being a key interface for key clients and key partners. And so um, me, I've been personally running real hard for four years and um, there's a number of things that, that I'd like to achieve um, beyond just Unchain and this affords me the opportunity to do that. But I, I do just want to say too, but for, for, for clients that, and in the post that I uh, wrote called Texas Hedged, um, that the whole foundation of our business is based on people holding their own private keys. And that, that is why our business works. That's why in the face of FTX, we never had any exposure to, to FTX. I can't even like consciously put that, that word in a sentence or Alameda or three years capital or Celsius. We never lent client Bitcoin. Um, we 
we help people custody Bitcoin, holding their own private keys. We help people buy Bitcoin directly there. We do lend against Bitcoin, but we only do it on an asset-backed basis, and we do it without rehypothecating collateral. Um, we've never incurred a loan loss, and so Unchained is in a very strong position. But I took the opportunity, and um, you know, really appreciate Joe and Drew um, being interested in kind of helping meet me in the middle. And, uh, as well as, as well as our investors, um, for, for having that confidence. And there's still some process and technicalities of, of making that move official, but that's the plan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. I was a bit shocked, but this is, uh, I read the, uh, the Texas hedged post that you put out and how was it? It was good. It was long. Everything I do is long. It's long winded. I forget you've told Get me the, to you've told me the Texas hedge story before. I forgot about it though. We are Texas hedge. Yeah, I think all Bitcoiners are. Like yeah. when the price of Bitcoin collapses, um, you buy more Bitcoin. That's doubling down. Um, and if you know you're right, then then you're able to do that. And that I think about everybody who's securing their wealth in Bitcoin for the long term as somebody who is creating value for Unchained. You become just a little bit more Texas hedged if you decide to build a Bitcoin company or have a Bitcoin podcast or write about Bitcoin. And that, that is what I'm going to do most immediately. I don't have an immediate plan other than, uh, getting my head above water to, to, to breathe some fresh air, but I am going to finish the graduate and suddenly book version. Um, and that'll, that'll be, uh, I'll, that'll be something I'll try to get done in December. Yeah. No, you have been running hard last four years the hardest working man in bitcoin is yeah is what you've been referred to i get a little uncomfortable every time you say that yeah it's true though but i have i don't think i've missed a houston or austin meetup in like 18 months maybe dating back well that's when i started going to the houston meetup but uh no i think that a big part of how we've built on chain and the brand that we have is on the backs of the bitcoiners that are on the team um, we've got a lot of good Bitcoiners, like our culture is what defines us. If you talk to any of our clients, that will be what defines us. Uh, the foundation is, is multi-sig and people holding their own keys, but there is a real service there. And that, that building that culture was a combination of that team and being out in front of people and clients and helping them understand why, why Bitcoin's important as well as why holding private keys is important. And so, um, yeah, you know, it might not sound that much, but like when you, you add up, you know, 18 meetups and 18 straight months in two different cities and then making time to be in Dallas for meetups and Midland meetups. Uh, I like to think about all Bitcoiners as having some Bitcoin hustle, but um, yeah, that, that did take a little bit of a toll, but um, we also create a lot of value um, and it's been like managing Unchained day to day and helping um, really have it become the Bitcoin company that it is has been the re most rewarding journey of my uh, professional life by far. And um, now that I get to go do the same from the board, but have more time day to day um, to get back to writing, um, I've literally been trying to finish the graduate and suddenly book version since uh, Bitblock Boom of 2021 and have made very little progress. Um, but now I'll have some dedicated time to do that. Um, but I also just want to reinforce for, for clients and every, you know, everyone probably chirping on Twitter that, um, that, you know, kind of everything that we built, we've been right about the big things, Bitcoin, 
building on top of holding keys, eliminating counterparty risk. Um, and that I'm very proud of. And that's why, you know, today, and I'm a client of Unchained, um, that's not changing. Um, and I only do that because I'm not taking the counterparty risk of my own company. And that's what differentiates us. And that's the position that every client is in. And, and just look forward to the future building Unchained, but from a different position and, uh, and getting to hang out more in the commons <laughs> down here. Um, cause I am going to be helping to continue to, to, to lead and shape the vision for that, um, for the Bitcoin community here in Austin, um, and finishing the graduate and suddenly book and orange pill and more people. Yeah. This is, this is Parker's vision right here. Um, I mean, I think Kaylee, I mean, yeah. you, me, but yeah. You always came in with like the fuck. I'm gonna be file. I'm gonna be in here more often, g- getting more shit done. Okay, so you're the, you're the talent. So I'm gonna get less shit done. You're the talent. No, <laughs> I'm gonna enable you to get more shit done. Okay, good. Yeah, good. Yeah, no. Again, it's a bittersweet week. Um, because I mean, I, I've I mean, I, I've obviously am involved with a lot of different companies and sectors within Bitcoin and it's, it's happening across the board. I mean, mining is obviously going through a rough patch, just bear market. I, I was discussing it with people last night. It's definitely the hardest bear market since 2015. And if it continues on this pace and might surpass it as probably the toughest bear market that uh, Bitcoiners have experienced since it launched in 2009. And you have to figure that makes somewhat sense considering this is the first time that Bitcoin has ever existed in this particular type of interest rate environment with the Fed hiking rates and that liquidity drying up and overall markets freaking out, like what the hell is going on? Yeah, I, I do agree that, um, I mean, you'll have to correct, you'll have to, the 2012 to 2015, there was a longer bear market, right? That was like more severe. The 20, so the beginning of 2014 is when Mt. Gox happened. And, and so 2014, 2015, and the price didn't go back to like $1,000 till late 2016. 16. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, there's some recency bias in there, but um, when you think about- Recency the, bias was seven years ago. No, I know saying like this is, that this is like uh, the the worst. I wasn't even there, but I want to check your, you know, your, your gut instincts on that, that, um, I remember talking to a, uh, minor in 2017 or 20, no, maybe it was 2018. And they were like, they're going to have to introduce inflation. Like this is the worst market possible. Um, miners are dying, you know, and now we're here. And it's like, if you to- total it up in terms of real purchasing power of that mining reward, we're, the Bitcoin network is able to pay for more security than it ever has before. I mean, if like we're looking on a trailing basis, obviously 2021 would, would be more, but, but over time that that's increasing and there's more hash rate coming online. And so someone is finding a way to produce Bitcoin cheaper and cheaper. Hashes are getting more and more efficient. And that just at the same time that those companies are struggling, the, what is happening underneath the surface is that the strongest are getting stronger. And that's how I think about Unchained too. It's like, yeah, we we are taking a little bit of pain, but then what we are also doing is weatherizing. Yes. Um, We are 
um, kind of tolerating and taking the stressor um, and that will harden us um, and then we will move forward. March 12, 2020, that was, that was more brutal than anything that, you know, has happened through the three arrows, Coinbase post there, you know, or I guess it was, I want to say it's just Coinbase, but after the Fed first started raising rates, this episode last week, March 12, 2020, way worse than that, you know, but everyone would look here and, and have the recency bias be like, oh, this is the worst. Yeah. Not yet. It's not 2015 yet. 2015, summer 2015. I wasn't even there and was, I have to. was the darkest time of my Bitcoin. Back to it. I was like two or three years in at that point. I was like, holy shit, this may, this may end. People yep. legitimately thought it was going to end. It was, was right no, before I came along. There was nobody on Twitter. Bitcoin talk was dying. Early 2016, Brooks Dudley, we were going to go to the Masters and he made me buy Bitcoin before we went. That was the cost that I had to pay to get a master's ticket. That's that's a good friend right there. Yeah. And that's a good He then that's paid a good me. carrot on the stick. It is. Some master's tickets. Yeah. So I guess I want to wrap it up on the the topic of what are your thoughts on again, markets learning a big lesson right now. The main lesson is a lot of these exchanges and counterparties do not have the Bitcoin that you believe they owe you. Does this create FOMO? Does this really drive home the scarcity of Bitcoin for people? Obviously, the people get wiped out. Maybe they try to get back in. Most are probably likely in a scenario where they can't uh, recover the position that they lost. But do you think for people sitting on the sidelines watching this who have been waiting, maybe waiting for a particular price target to begin allocating to the space or seeing what's going on and be like, oh, crap, there's actually not as much... Bitcoin liquidity as I thought there was. Yeah. I mean, I do. I mean, I think that what happens naturally in these periods of Bitcoin's falling knife, that's how Bitcoin gets priced. Um, and that's where equilibriums are found. And so I do think that Bitcoin is now starting to get to levels. And I, I do genuinely not like to think about price all that much, but it is a function of uh, impacting our business and it impacts Bitcoin. So you can't get around it, but that when Bitcoin starts to get cheap and everybody, you know, there is no market really. Um, it's each individual that's pricing Bitcoin. And that when an event like last week happened and Bitcoin's, you know, down from 20,000 to 17,000, that is the market stepping in and catching a falling knife. And I, from my own experience and just people that I'm talking to, seeing people starting to wade in for the first time, as well as see people who had started to accumulate at the fifties and sixties coming back in, um, that's price discovery. And I don't necessarily think that it's an inflection point. I think that the inflection point will come when, um, the fed reverses course and a whole new market of people will have seen that Bitcoin did not die and that everything that Bitcoiners have been talking about, because the counterparty risk is the counterparty risk and the, the silver lining there and what people will learn is I need to take this seriously and that there's no, there's no way to get around um, the fact that the only way to create certainty is to secure your own Bitcoin keys. Um, otherwise someone else is securing their own keys and you can't know how exactly how that's happening or whether they are going to give you a Bitcoin or whether they're not. Uh, and then trust exists on a spectrum. The only way to create certainty is holding private keys. And so 
I think all of this is very important, but the macro, more people probably figured out Bitcoin when the Fed printed $3 trillion than the people that were probably a relatively, I mean, probably maybe there's millions of people, but um, there's still relatively few people who will find the signal through that. And so what I'm looking more toward is what is happening in the dollar world. You know, people cheering 7.7% inflation, albeit the dollar is falling apart and people can't see it because they don't understand um, what the economic ramifications are of the largest currency system in the world being as volatile as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. All right. We're, we're going to figure it out. We're going to win. We are going to win. I should say I do it because this is on my mind. I'm not shocked. That's what's happening uh, with you moving to the board at Unchained because I've known we've talked about it behind the scenes. Um, I said I was shocked earlier, but I was like, yeah. I know that there's a lot of people that are going to be surprised, yeah. um, but it is something that I wanted, um, and it's it was a it was a good way um, to create value for Unchained and for me to be able to um, pursue some wants and needs that I have, and also just a reinforcement to the team too, um, and, and to our clients for this matter. Like I, I couldn't have done that or couldn't have made that decision if not for um, all the strong leaders that exist on the team. Um, Phil Geiger, Trey Sellers, Cam Stromey, Justine, um, Matt McManus, Jevy, um, Brian Milstein. Like our whole team is like full of rock solid Bitcoiners that aren't just enthusiasts, but know how to execute Michael Tanguma, um, you know, would find that, that those people are all there and that's what afforded me the opportunity. Um, and I'm still be at every meetup. So, and I'll be at the commons. Uh, I'm going to be at the Houston meetup on Monday. Um, be there with my partner, Dave Owls across. Um, and so I think that th there will be a lot of people just with what's going on in the market kind of concerned but um when when people or the people that actually have the signal are clients they know how to get a hold of me and um and i'm going to be around so um i do know that that, it, that it's a bit of a surprise but um that i think people who understand me probably know that it uh once they once they know that 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 it's also not a surprise yeah i'm excited for this chapter i'm excited for the comments yeah this is good for the comments it's not good for my ability to get work done, but we're going to accelerate you. <laughs> okay. It's going to be the accelerator. My, my project is going to be your acceleration. All right. It's been a long week. Let's go have some beers. Let's do that. All right. Peace and love freaks. Ticky!